Okay. Yeah, let's start. Adventure Guys! Adventure Guys! Now it's time for Adventure Guys! Alright, welcome to Adventure Guys, the podcast for humans and dogs. I'm Eric the Human. And I'm Nick the Human. And uh, here we are, Eric. I th- I was looking at it. First time in a month and a half. Just an old school Nick and Eric app. We've yeah, this ge- is really classic mode. Yeah, we've yeah, and we're zooming uh, because of this variant. I know it's funny. We've been jam packed. We had Sean on twice in between <laughs> last solo episodes. It's been that kind of a a period for us, but a really fun period for the podcast. There's like almost like eras. To the podcast at this point you know there's like original era where i'm in texas and you're on Long island <laughs> there's the in-person year the in-person chunk the when the historians ch- catalog our body of work for the smithsonian eventually which i assume is going to happen that's that's how they're going to organize it yeah volumes <laughs> oh and i mean we're in season two right now too i didn't even talk about that that yeah that was a real game changer when season two started. <laughs> you know, I noticed our season two premiere episode still kind of sucks on on the stats. Not a lot of people are listening to that. I know it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I don't know if the algorithms needed to get reheated or whatever, but uh, the last few people have been listening. So thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for uh, for telling people about the pod and uh, and stuff. It's it's fun. Um, yeah. Eric, I hope you had a better week. Last time we talked, you had, you were just coming off a real rough one. I hope this week's been better. I know you're drawing, drawing frogs, so that's promising. Dude, drawing frogs has basically been the only thing I've done. I've been drawing frogs for seven hours today. Whoa. I I'm pretty impressed. much draw until my hand cramps up. Um, mm. And seven hours is about, about the max I can do, but I kind of want to draw more after we uh, finish the podcast tonight. Love that. Oh, let me send you the progress I made today. I would love to see it. Um, but I can't wait for... Go follow Eric on Patreon, but... <laughs> Eric, that's another thing. Early on in the podcast, Eric was like, I'm going to start learning how to draw. And he sent me a sketch that's going to be used. This is going to be released in, to accompany some music at some point. And I was like thinking, I was like, dude, you've like really come a ways in the last few months drawing. Did you draw, have like a, a lot of experience drawing when you were younger? Uh, it's kind of weird because that was, I guess, identified as like, oh, maybe that's a talent area, uh, for this child. And I did a lot of drawing, but, you know, tracing and that kind of stuff. And when I was very young, um, and my parents took me to art classes when I was like six, seven, eight years old. Um, but nothing ever really came out of it. And I kind of stopped uh doing that once i started playing music i guess and never even tried to get back into the world of visual art until last year well so i'm glad f- that from you, when i was eight years old <laughs> i'm glad that you did because i'm looking at it you texted me this progress that you mentioned and i am really impressed this is next level like you the first we, we shared some stuff on the instagram that you did some adventure time drawing which was very 
good. And then on your solo, your last solo EP, it's there. But this dude is even, this is a clear cut above that stuff. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I yeah, I'm, I'm almost, I'm almost done with the inking on that. Um, so I, I'm kind of approaching it from a comic perspective uh, because eventually yeah. that's what I would like to do is, is, is draw comics. Um, so usually, usually it's a three part process and a lot of times they'll have three different people do these tasks, but you pencil in your rough sketch of the art and then you go over it in ink for like the final black and white and then you color it. And those are three separate tasks that are usually three separate people. And I'm trying to learn how to do all of it. So I'm almost done with the, the inking stage. And even though it's all digital, um, you know, I'm using like a, a pencil like it looks like a pencil stroke uh and then i'll i'll go over it with what looks like a pen stroke and um I, the digital aspect is 100% what's enable enabling me to do this if it was like, the old school this would be insane right yeah i was thinking about that cuz when i when i really started composing in college i had this thought it was like if i didn't have notation software there's no way i would be able to be doing this and like I knew how you know music worked and and everything, but just like the process of writing out notes on manuscript paper, like with a pencil and like erasing things and stuff, just takes so long. And using notation software like Sibelius is just immediate. Like you you click where the note goes, it's there. Um, and I'm so fast with notation software now after using it for like 15 years. I I can't imagine what going back to manuscript paper would be like it would like it would be such a colossal waste of time to write out music with a pencil like i can't i don't i don't know anyone who still does that and yet there are plenty of people that still do art that way but after learning like some of the fundamentals and then being able to use a tablet with in clip studio paint there's so much time that i'm saving just like oh i I drew this thing too small i need to resize it and you just like stretch it out a little bit or oh, you want to go over in a different layer. So you just make the bottom layer more transparent and you can draw over that one on a new layer and rather than like using a light box. And there's just so many time saving things that like if the technology didn't exist, I would not be able to do this. Like there's no way I would have the patience, let alone be able to like do anything like that looks semi-professional. <laughs> wow. It's insane, man. Uh, it's really cool when you think about it that way. It's the same thing we were talking about with music making, just like the access that you have now with, if you buy GarageBand or Logic, you get Logic and you've, you've got like, like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment of access. You like, it would have cost to, to own all that stuff back in the, you know, the day. Yeah. I mean, it's just the larger democratization of music making. Um, and you know, this, this is sort of an interesting concept related to like the business side of things. Um, I have a friend who was talking about like how shitty payouts are for streaming and everything and that kind of thing recently. And yeah, like the per stream payout is really low. Um, artists don't make a lot of money. We, we know that we know that discussion, but Mm -hmm. the thing is like, there are so many artists out there now that have recordings that aren't making money. Like if you were putting out a record in 1970, there was, there was already a, a lot behind that. 
to make it happen. Like not no regular ass Joe Schmo could just make a record in 1970. Like you needed label support, like to get into a studio and and afford time there. And, and like, there was no DIY. There was no bedroom album. Mm -hmm. Uh, so people don't get a lot of money for like a single stream, but what, what is the value of a single stream anyway? I think like the, the threshold for like having a, a listenership that like mm -hmm. should make you money is, is still kind of the same, except that everyone's in these lower tiers that never existed before. There's a lot of people who now get to make and distribute records that just simply never would have. Right. Before. And, and if you're, if you're putting out records with the same amount of exposure and listenership as bands from like 30, 40 years ago, then you're still going to make as much money as they did, except that anything below that just never existed back then is what yeah. the issue was. And now it exists. And now you can make money doing that, even if it's not a lot. Just the fact that it exists in that lower tier is new. Yeah. And a lot of different art media is experiencing that now. And, it's and, get, somewhat... your, and get your art to an audience. Like, you couldn't just be somebody in Ohio um, that wanted to make your weirdo record. Like we were just talking about that band Brainiac, and I watched their, their documentary. It's in the 90s, and they were on indie, indie labels, but they had to, like, push to, like, meet the labels and play the shows. And then you wanted anybody to hear you. It was years of touring, hand-to-hand -hand combat, to literally be going out there to give people your record, you know? Like, and now, if for better and worse, I mean, there's lots of pluses and minuses and lots to talk about here, but, like, now you you can be a weirdo in your bedroom and, like, not have to go through so many hoops to make your weird art and then give it to people on the internet. Right. Like, you could sell a hundred digital copies of your record and if you sell it for seven bucks then you make seven hundred dollars mm -hmm. that's that's not a tier that ever existed before no because you would have had to press those as cds tapes or seven inches or lps and you're not m making that much money and yeah i mean there didn't used to be artists that that sold only a hundred records like those mm -hmm. artists just wouldn't exist like you had to sell at least like a couple thousand before it even happened. Yeah. So just being able to sell a couple hundred is, is a new phenomenon. Um, it's interesting. And just being able to post your art on Instagram yeah. and have a hundred people see it is a new phenomenon. Yeah. The visual art, man, I'm, I'm no expert in this arena, but it is something to think about. Like if you're a person who makes art, then like who would you show it to? You'd have to go out and like find a place to show it and you'd show it to your close inner circle of friends, maybe school, but like that's Getting kind of in a it. gallery and there's like yeah. crazy things to make that happen. Yeah. Now you now there at least is a platform. It's interesting. Not that I think either of us are sitting here being like, thank God for Spotify. Thank God for like, you know, the streaming services and and and, and Instagram. Like they're not infallible. But it is a in very interesting point to be made about where it sits within the ecosystem. Right. I think, yeah, is I think everything is in proportion. It's just, we're not 
used to there being like so little on the on the lower end of that proportional scale because it never existed before. Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, I don't mind making a third of a cent on a Spotify stream because yeah, you need a few thousand streams a day for that to start making a dent. But if you're not getting a few thousand streams a day, then that's not that's not really that much anyway. So what what are you expecting? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting, and it, it touches lots of worlds and creative mediums and stuff. So it's cool. I would like you know I do want to put out there. I like this long non adventure time talk since it's just you and I. It's been a while <laughs> since we've gotten down one of these rabbit holes. So I think it's good. Behind- I don't know if you noticed, but I'm definitely drawing in a sort of uh ghost shrimp kind of style i want did want to say to (laughs) to your drawing especially because the way you sent it it's it's like the proportions and everything it's it it's going to be a bit more zoomed out you know it's like shrunken down and i was like okay this is looking like if you're a fan of adventure time i think you would like the draw like this drawing that you just sent me i i did want to ask you i'm kind of at the point now where all of my major things are in there and i'm just like adding in details and that kind of thing. Um, so I need, I need some ideas on what to put on the bottom of the skateboard deck. Oh, wow. And, and I, I, I need an idea for what to put on the cop car license plate. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to think on that. <laughs> it's so good. I'm so proud. I can't wait to see more. I want to get you to draw me something. Well, obviously, you're going to have to drop me my tree trunks at some point. <laughs> yeah. Although, I got to say, the whole David Huggins inspiration of it all that we uncovered last week <laughs> did throw me for a loop. I didn't dig in on him as far as I wanted to because I was traveling back from Austin, but I watched the trailer to his doc, and it seems, like, heavy. Heavy. If you missed the last episode, we'll go back and listen to it. But, uh, yeah, this guy was abducted by aliens and, uh, you know, had sex with them and lost his virginity. But that's not where that's not what I wanted to bring up. I'm very happy about your <laughs> Hey, it here. happens. It happens. So I in another early episode, uh Eric was like, I'm gonna get you into comics, is what you told me. I did I just want to let the listeners know that I am now on the last book of Why the Last Man. Eric, Hell I read, yeah. I read this Dude, much, you, like 120 pages this afternoon. You're almost there. Um <laughs> And I love it now. Like, I'm like, I want to know more about this world, you know? I can really go down any... There's a lot of rabbit holes I can go down. Sometimes I think I avoid them because I'm like, I don't need another (laughs) thing (laughs) to get into. But this has been such... I love reading, but this is just so... It's like, it doesn't even feel like reading, you know? It's it's just so damn enjoyable. Well, that's Brian K. Vaughn's style. it, It feels very cinematic. Yeah, like you're like you're watching a prestige TV show or something. Very good. So thank you, Eric, for for making me get into that. Um, I would never have done it without you. But I took your <laughs> I took your uh, your recommendation, and it's proved good. So then today I got, or this week I got this my uh-huh. next book, hardcover version of the Inkle. I'm losing. I'm sure there's some comic book heads. Hey. Reminder, you can, if you want to join in any of this talk, did you see the mail at gmail.com. So I got my next comic that I'm going to read, and it's uh, The Inkle 
by Yodorowsky. Um, it wrote it, and Mobius is the uh, person who uh, drew it. But Yudorowsky, uh Alejandro Yudorowsky of the Holy Mountain fame in El Topo, apparently, we talked about this one time, but like, you know how he took out, um, he was going to do Dune, he was going to do the first version of Dune, and then it didn't happen, and a lot of, um, it seemed like he, but through the planning stages, he paved the way for like Star Wars and a lot of other stuff. He took a lot of that research and ideas he had for Dune and funneled it into this comic um when was that published um holding it in my hand i can tell you it was published because i don't know a lot about it and was it uh published as like a like a series like with issues like normal comics i'm gonna find out i believe oh Definitely, there's definitely six books. I don't know if it was put out. Um, I need to look into it. But it does say somewhere, somewhere called it the best-selling graphic novel of all time. Really? I saw that. <laughs> oh, okay. The Inkle came out in 1980. Interesting. Um. Yeah, there were six books. Maybe it was the best selling in 1980. Yeah. Uh, up until that point. <laughs> Here we go. It was published <clears throat> three volumes by Epic Comics, which was a Marvel division um, in 1988. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I'm very, I'm excited to read. I know. It's like, I don't know what the hell that means. But what what made me did making excited is I love Yodorowsky and I love those two movies, especially <laughs> The Holy Mountain. It's just one of the best movies I've ever seen. And what's exciting about this is that it was people are like, this is one of my favorites. Um, and it sounds like it's coherent, which I think would be a, a worry for a Yodorowsky uh, comic book. That's just going to be a bunch <laughs> of random imagery and shit. But it sounds to me like he, he, he uses the, the, the medium well. So, yeah, I'm very excited. Thank you, Eric. Visual art uh, is very cool. <laughs> yeah, man. I, uh, I, I'm hoping to expand my Patreon to include more of that soon. <laughs> I'm trying to finish this album cover art with the frogs as soon as I can. Uh, and then, then I might leisurely start with my, my big art project. Which which I will integrate into the Patreon, but I don't I don't have a timetable for it really. Mm. Sounds cool to me. Hey, everyone out there, we talked about it last time, but go get on Eric's Patreon. It's a cool place. Sounds like it's a whole get about to get a whole lot cooler. Um, yeah, I will say, uh, I'm putting out three vinyl records this year. Wow, and all the details about that are on the Patreon. And if you're putting up a lot of money you get the vinyls locked in. Hell yeah. One and, is a, one is going to be a double vinyl. <laughs> so four wait. discs of wax in 2022. Hell yeah. I, um, I've been working on some music. I sent you some today. There's more, there's more like that, uh, that exists. So where, uh, where are those, where's that going? What is it for? That's what I don't know. I think I gotta, fig- <laughs> I gotta figure out, uh, I gotta figure out a plan of how I'm gonna, 
release some of that. So I said, I, I, so that I sent you today, it's like a 40 second, six second idea. I kind of like making those. I've shown you some other ones that are like, kind of like that, you know? Yeah. Um, I was thinking of making like a mixtape of all those and putting it out. Um, I can't decide if I should put it out on Bandcamp because that seems like a pretty Bandcampy thing to do. Or if I should just go wild and just start releasing like a million albums under my own solo name and EPs and stuff. And then might as well put it on all the services because who knows you get a playlist placement, something pops off. I know. I guess it's hard. It's that I have to break the seal of like releasing, <laughs> releasing music. You know what I mean? Um, but it's kind of, I guess it's kind of like, why not? All right. Maybe I'll send it. Maybe, maybe you can put it up on your Patreon. Maybe that's a good place for it. <laughs> it's like a label. Um, yeah. <laughs> I got to figure out what to do. But in the meantime, at least we have adventure time. I think we should, I think we've bullshitted long enough. Let's talk about it. Episode discussion. We watched season eight, episode 19, Jelly Beans Have Power. Yeah, it's a, an interesting one. It's a Princess Bubblegum episode, which we haven't really done in a while. Your favorite character? Yeah, it, it is a direct Princess Bubblegum character development episode. Yeah, and it's, a, it's pretty interesting. We talked about in the last episode, there was some interesting Princess Bubblegum stuff happening. This happens only two episodes after High Strangeness. So... Very close in the, in the same the same realm, and there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. With Princess Bubblegum in this one that I I want to talk to you about because it's not it's not really direct, but it's clear that Princess Bubblegum is dealing with some interesting feelings in in a growth period and leaving behind an old self and trying to grow in and reckon with who she is now or her future self and. It's 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 really it's interesting, you know. They don't like spell it out for you here. Like, there's a lot of like breadcrumbs and 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 confusion. You know what I mean? I I think it's a pretty established general form for you know a character arc to have this kind of episode. Yeah. Uh, but it is relatively late in the series. Yeah. Um, and it it's interesting that Princess Bubblegum. Only, you know, we just had her sort of pre-apocalyptic worry episode, which was high strangeness. And now she's, you know, now the pressure's on and she's really figuring herself out. Yeah. It, And she's figuring herself, I guess what, I, what I'm getting at is like, it's interesting. She's, it's a rare episode though. I, I know what you mean, like where this is going to happen in the character development, but she's, she doesn't even necessarily even know what she's wrestling to figure out. I think we've all been there where you're, it's like something's off and she has a bunch of different feelings about being off and she's trying to even figure out what those feelings are. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it's always hard to pinpoint exactly what's going on with her because she is like a thousand years old. Yeah. So it's not like you can point to one specific trauma that influences a course of action or, or anything like that. There's like, there's so much leading up to everything. Yeah. And, and there's never any like specific moment where like everything changes. I think a, a few major things change significantly 
in this episode, but it's not like a complete reinvention or anything like that. There's not like a, a sudden realization or anything like that. It, it Her process is pretty gradual. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a sudden realization. There's not like a pinpoint of this isn't working. She needs to do this to remedy it. That's, that's, what I guess I'm getting at. Like usually there's a more sort of, you know, even you talk about Finn, right? The things that he wrestles through each one is kind of clear as it's happening. You know, it's like his dad issues and himself and like getting over flame princess and these different things. This one is a little bit more nebulous. So I'm talking around it, but here's, here's the general gist of, of the episode. Um, Let's talk through it a little bit. So we open up and Slime Princess is, is, uh, is that, that's her name, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love Slime Princess. Princess. Yeah. Maria Bamford. Yeah. She's over at Princess Bubblegums. They're having tea and she's just so jacked that she's got these new slime powers. Like she can shoot slime, use it to fly basically. And, and Princess Bubblegums like, this is gross. Like no one cares about these powers. And then Finn and Jake are like, we just want to see who's like where all this cool slime's coming from. Like, uh, thanks, SP. Um, <laughs> and she's Jack, and and she's like, you know, you should have invited Patience Saint Pim here because she gave us all these cool powers. And she's like, she messed with, like, she messed with us and gave us like I don't like that. And she's like, oh no, it's pretty rad. Like, check this out and, um. And and it's kind of clear that it becomes clear that Princess Bubblegum is a little bit self conscious because her power, which is shooting jelly beans out of her palm of her hands, she's not very good at it. Like one just kind of plops out. She can't shoot it like a stream out, like like she did uh, early, earlier episode. And like Slime Princess, like she can't. She she doesn't have control over her powers, and it's starting to bug her. And she's trying to figure out and um. In the middle of the night, like a paper airplane comes in and it has this like really simple symbol on it, which when she goes to bed, it tr- triggers some uh, uh, some dreams where she meets an older version of the candy elemental. Yeah. Um, and what's his name again? Something Berry. Uh, um, Chatsberry. Chatsberry. Yeah. Now, Chatsberry, now this is interesting. So she's triggered, goes into this dream world, meets Chatsbury, and Chatsbury's like, you need to get in touch with who you are now, right? And he, and he goes and shows her, like, how to better use her powers, and she looks inside her own head, and there's, like, a little jelly bean inside her head. And when she wakes up, she now has control over the jelly beans. As we're talking about it, Eric, I do want to lay on you some more... Uh, some more thoughts and observations. Um, we get a bunch of peppermint Butler in this episode. <laughs> yeah. And interestingly, when Princess Bubblegum was like, I can't use this on my hands. Like it's not working correctly. Like the, the, the jelly beans in the middle of the night, she goes to her lab and uh, is like working on herself or trying to like make something to help her. And Princess <laughs> Peppermint Butler's doing some sort of like occult ceremony by himself in his room. Is that, kind of what it looks like sure it's a sheen pet butt yeah classic pet com- butt yeah then he comes in and is like what are you doing like it's too late and he says open your hands um young lady which i thought was a really interesting way for him to address princess bubblegum i was like huh that's a little bit of a shift on their dynamic 
I guess it's fitting. But you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like it's in jest. It's sort of like a you know, kind of like Alfred in the Batman series where he is older, he is a right. guardian, but also he still works for her. <laughs> works for Batman. Yeah, Peppermint Butler is definitely Alfred. I don't think I've made that analogy connected that, but yeah, he's definitely an Alfred kind of guy. Yeah. Where it's like because <laughs> like, like Alfred does a lot for Batman. Like <laughs> yeah. it's never really talked about or acknowledged, but it's like if, when you watch you're like, holy shit, like this guy does a lot. For Bruce Wayne, like the operation's not running without him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and s- similarly, Peppermint Butler does a lot. Um, and you know, I, I there's a weird thing that happens though here in that interaction. She, she's he he admits that she admits that she's self conscious, and Peppermint Butler as almost an Agustekura goes, "Don't, my lady, don't give in to nostalgia." Now here, I want to do an exercise with you. And he just kind of slips that in there. Don't give in to nostalgia. At this point in the episode, it's the first time it's referred to nostalgia, the past, who you were, these things. And it doesn't really have any sort of connection in this moment, but it does make sense when we meet uh, Chatsbury and he says, stop connecting to who you were or who you think you are and who you are right now. He says something like that, right? Um yeah. And so it's interesting that Peppermint Butler sort of like is hinting at that. And then Peppermint Butler goes, here, imagine this. This plate is invading Candy Kingdom. You need to save everybody. So you need to shoot streams of candy at this plate to, to save it. And which is him basically saying what's going to happen in like eight minutes at the end of this episode. <laughs> Which is like, which is also I found interesting. Yeah, where I'm, like she has to rise to the occasion in order to unlock her potential. Right. I don't want to give him any sort of like. This just seems like good TV writing, where like they're giving you the first indicator that these are, it's just gonna happen. Foreshadowing, and this is a theme, nostalgia. So we're gonna get it later. Um, and then yeah, when Chatsbury's there, yeah, look into who you are now and not who you were and and she's saying some she's trying to figure out who she was and she wakes up and she can use she can shoot jelly beans now she she can't shoot anything else but she can shoot jelly beans and she does say sort of like at some point like i who i am is science like i put my trust in in science but she says i failed to recognize something about myself or what's going on inside myself (laughs) And it's, it's starting to get a little bit interesting where it's like, so what is she getting? That, this is like where it's like, okay, like, what is she, what is she getting? What is, like, Eric, what do you think she is struggling with in these moments? <clears throat> well, this power has just become, you know, revealed to her that she has this ancient, latent power where that she, she is the candy elemental. She can just control and conjure candy at will, or she's supposed to be able to. And yet, she's devoted her entire life to science and reason and figuring things out and, you know, creating things with technology. Uh, So she has to sort of reckon between, well, I have this, this ancient magic in me that I should just be able to, I should just be able to, like, cast these crazy candy spells without any effort. 
even though like her entire life has not followed that trajectory. Uh, So she has to figure out a way to sort of make it her own. Like her personality is, is science and logic based. So she has to, I guess, come to terms with like accepting these different parts of herself and having them work in harmony rather than discarding one for the other. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I I like that. And I I think it's, I think what makes it resonant is that's the the specifics of what she's struggling with. But I guess a lot of us go through something similar, right? Where you kind of figure out your life and you figure out what's important to you and you like set up shop maybe, right? And then something unforeseen happens in your life. And all of a sudden you have to reckon with this new truth, be it, you know, loss, like you know, a new person coming to your life, someone leaving your life, money being lost or gained, like some, some shifts come like this, just what life does is it throws you a new piece of information. And sometimes it's a piece of information that doesn't square with what you've built up previously. And now you have to like reckon with it and incorporate it into your life. Yeah. So she eventually figures it out. She has to defend the candy kingdom. So the pressure's on. Yeah, uh, from a big but, giant. What what's the crane game? Right? Is that was that was that what you would call it? Like the the thing that like kids play in elementary school, where it's like yeah. the four panels, and you like you push your fingers out, and like I'm doing the motion, like anyone can see what the fuck I'm doing, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, and it's like you say a number, and then it does four numbers, and then it's opening a flap, and then like shooting out giant icicles that are killing people. <laughs> Yeah, and so just up until this point, she's figured out how to shoot a decently steady stream of jelly beans, but only the jelly beans, and they get deflected off of this this crystal icicle thing. Uh, And she knows about a move, a secret move from Chatsbury, where if you create root beer with one hand and mince with the other hand and shoot them together, you can create an explosion. But you can't figure out how to create these different kinds of candy until she uses science to think about their chemical formulas. Right. And great sort of point. Combines, which I, which combines I the two parts of her, of her personality. You just, I didn't even put that together while watching the episode, but you're right. And she looks inside of herself and she's like, she realizes there's not just the jelly bean inside of her, but there's all these elements. Yeah. And she's using her science knowledge with these new parts. Yeah. Beautifully said. And uh, and destroys this big crane game thing. And when she does, it explodes and rains icicles and snow all over people and, like, cuts a lot of the candy people in half and looks like murders a couple of them. And they're all sad about it. It's, it's, a, it's a very grim scene. And she's freaked out by it. And is like, I'm going to my private quarters. Yeah. Uh, At first she's stoked because she pulled off... Yeah, you know, creating any kind of candy now that she knows how to do it. Uh, but then she saw the destructive power unleashed unwittingly. Uh, right. But it's like hard because it's sort of like, she, I know she's bummed, but she, who wouldn't be bummed? But it's like, how could she ever have seen that's what would happen? You know? Yeah. Like that this was like, they didn't, like Peppermint Butler didn't even realize it was made of snow until it's there. And then it, it pulls out and then we see, right. Um, Patient St. Pym is at 
the Ice Kingdom? Because at this point, you're like, all right, is this Patience or is this the Ice King? Like, could this just be... This does seem like some dumb shit the Ice King would do. Um, but it becomes clear that it was it was Patience, right? Yeah. And now, it, it, which is interesting, so she orchestrated that. Now, she orchestrated... It's also clear, too, we didn't give you all the details, but she orchestrated that paper airplane that went into princess bubblegum's bed and like sent her into this dream world and to see the old elemental version of herself and like discover her powers. So it starts to be interesting. It's like, Whoa, like, so patience was almost destroyed the candy kingdom, but also is the one that was like pushing princess bubblegum on to learn more about herself and how to use these powers. It's sort of like, what's going on here? What's the end game? Yeah. Well, just like from a overall plot perspective, uh, I forget how Patience was able to get like these powers to awaken in the four elementals. Um, but Princess Bubblegum was the only one that like couldn't master it right away. Like once she was made aware that she had these ancient powers. So this was like Patience getting PB to master these powers to be able to use them uh, because she wants the four elementals to like unleash the power to like transform the land of Ooh, and her plan eventually goes bong dongles <laughs> uh, and she kind of pieces out. She's like, oops, I guess I fucked this up. Uh, maybe I'll try again in another thousand years. Um, but this is, I think the last episode before the islands miniseries. Uh, and then when they get back from the islands miniseries, when Finn and Jake return, that's when the Elements miniseries starts because uh, while they were gone, Patience had the four elementals like transform the Land of Ooh into like pure candy, pure slime, pure fire, and pure ice, and everything's all fucked up. Yeah. Um, so this is like part of her plan that she needs PB to like self actualize. <laughs> uh, she has to get her there, but um, I mean it's it's kind of a pretty climactic like development point in her character arc and it but it's it's put in motion by a villain's plan basically so that's kind of like the the plot context of where everything is but yeah this is the last regular episode that we get for a while uh because then finn and jake peace out for the islands thing the islands thing is cool yeah yeah it was a cool episode there were some other um quotes i did want to shout out yeah i liked that Slime Princess is is cool, but like, just I I like Slime Princess, but it's just clear that her and PB are just not this like not going to gel one on one. Like in a greater group context, it could work, but they're just different. Like obviously, PB is working through her own shit, but just like the story that Slime Princess is telling, where she said, "Uh, there's a slime in place for everything." <laughs> Wasn't that like slime is money? There was like yeah, some. Well- they they always seem to get along all right when yeah. when PB was like clearly holding a position of power and superiority as like the more important princess. Uh, but now that Slime Princess has these powers that PB can't rival, then she's super pissed off and jealous. Uh, but I do love Slime Princess. She's really funny, and Maria Bamford does a great job with that character. Yeah, yeah. There there's a. There's some moments in this episode that really made me think of something specific. Um, when 
PB is like trying to learn how to shoot other kinds of candy besides jelly beans. Uh, Peppermint Butler's trying to help her. And he's, you know, he's saying things like, all right, make some gobstoppers or milk drops or root beer. And she just keeps shooting jelly beans. Yeah. And there's this really hilarious moment. Um, it was funny to me because I could place it to like a million other analogous moments in my life where she doesn't, she doesn't shoot these, these other kinds of candy and Peppermint Butler just kind of like, is like, well, you know, those are still just jelly beans. Yeah. And, and PB does not react. It's like, she's not even listening to him and she just keeps shooting the jelly beans. And Peppermint Butler's like, <laughs> like, why, what the fuck are you doing? This is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, this is just a crazy thing that I've experienced like when a lot when I used to teach a lot, but it's something that I get when I'm producing in the studio sometimes. And even sometimes like leading like rehearsals, right? Where like if somebody's playing something a certain way uh, and they're like, they're like, I don't know, they're hitting the accent on like the downbeat instead of the end of four from the previous measure. Uh, then you tell them, oh, so when it comes back around to the one chord, uh, it's actually an end of four accent rather than the downbeat. And then, let's, and let's, so you do another take and then they come back around and they play it exactly the same way they just did. And they don't seem to react at all. So then you have to tell them again. It's like, so that accent actually happens on the end of four, not the downbeat. And they're like, okay. And then you go back and do it again. And they still do it exactly the same way. And you're yeah. just kind of like, do you, like, I, I know you're not getting it, but do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I know there's exactly. This, there, there's this weird communication breakdown. It's like, okay, I understand like that you're having trouble doing this particular thing, but are you having trouble understanding my instruction also <laughs> yeah i like that now what that triggered in me is the way i the way i see it is a little bit differently but i think your music analogy is good now i see it like you know when you're playing guitar or you're like okay so is, I'll, I'll go down the guitar thing since we're talking about that. like you learn the like trick when you're when you're of the solo which is like it's like a major pentatonic thing, like the five, six, one, doodle, doodle, like this thing where it's like, <laughs> you know, that thing that's like yeah. a, like if you're, you're learning, you're learning guitar, right? And that you, you just find that little thing out and you're like, whoa, I've heard that. That's a move. Or like one of the. There's like those little moves, right? And you find it out and then you just you just want to use it everywhere because that's how you learn it. And then like say you're jamming. With, it's like it'd be like jamming with someone and you jam for an hour and they play that thing just the whole time. And you're just like, hey, maybe try playing something a little different. But the person, that guitar player is just still like they're so jacked that they learned how to do that one lick that they're still just like embodying it and enjoying it and trying to figure out how to use it in all the different ways that like <laughs> yeah. they'll get there, but they're just, 
they're really in this one. That's kind of how I felt about the uh, the jelly beans. Yeah, it's it's so confusing, like being in Peppermint Butler's position there. I know. I think she's just so stoked to be shooting jelly beans. And yeah, it's like his, his his tone was just like a little bit frustrated. Like, yeah, <laughs> like he I also know is exactly cool. He's like, what, what you're doing here? Yeah, he's like, I'm Butler. I'm excited for you because you've clearly broken through here, but you still need to. Um, <laughs> like, well, well, that that wasn't a gobstopper. <laughs> yeah, that's still another jelly bean. Um, there's another g- great uh, quote in here that I meant to bring up. But he's talking to her, and it's in the middle of the night, and he pulls out a plate now. He's like, now, imagine this plate is attacking Candy Kingdom. And she's like, you sleep with a plate? And I think he just furrows his eyebrows and then doesn't address it and just keeps going forward. I know. I was like, what is, what's with this? Is there some reference here? Is there something that I, that I don't know about? <laughs> yeah, I liked it. It was just like a little breaking the fourth wall sort of a thing. <laughs> yeah, it was totally random. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Um. It's cool. It's 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 a good episode. It's interesting. It's interesting when you get to, to the I think this is where Princess Bubblegum starts to shine the vulnerability of her and she's figuring some shit out. That's when she starts to sing for me. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of Princess Bubblegum in the middle of the series that's like uh just a little bit insufferable. Um but at this point in her arc she's on the upswing. Um, Eric, did you see the snail? Yes, I saw the snail. Nick, did you see the snail? No. What are we going to do with you, Nick? Where was it? Uh, where was he? He was chilling on the bottom left corner of the screen. Forget what was going on. I definitely saw him. God damn it. I was eating dinner while I was watching, to be honest. I was taking a 11-minute break from drawing frogs. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right, well, theme song it up. I'm... Congratulations. One second, one second, I'm sorry. Congratulations! Okay. Miscellaneous Mania? There's things you may not know. Zarek and Nick will show you all the trivia in This episode was storyboarded by Alex Senwald and Hannah K. Nystrom. Not really familiar with either of them. Um, We're in season eight, so getting some newer writers in on the series at this point. But uh, 
I don't have a whole lot yeah. of extra stuff about this this one. I'm curious about Eric, what's up with the title, Jelly Beans Have Power? What do you think is going on with that? Uh, I think it's a reference to another episode. Oh, Crystals Have Power? Yes. And is this the Tree Trunks Crystal episode? Oh, God, I hope so. Yeah. And where they go into the crystal dimension to rescue tree trunks. <sighs> well, I've never seen that one. <clears throat> That's a Jesse Moynihan episode. Sounds it's awesome. Pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, I think they're just referencing an earlier episode of their own show. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yep. Cole Sanchez and Jesse Moynihan did that one. Sounds fucking great. Yeah, did you see that uh, Chatsbury um, may have quoted Morpheus from The Matrix? Yeah. I can open the door for you, but you have to be the one to step through it, or you have to step through it yourself. It's basically paraphrased what Morpheus says in The Matrix. Yeah. Did you watch the new Matrix? I didn't, did you? Yeah, I did. How was it? <sighs> yeah. I mean, if memory serves correct, Matrix 2 and 3 were not great. I I haven't rewatched them since they came out. Right. I really loved all of them when I was younger. I remember The Matrix was the first DVD that I owned. Oh, prime DVD years when that came out. That would have been right. like like that's like you buy your DVD player and you get a copy of The Matrix. Like, it right. was right then. We had just gotten a computer with a DVD drive. Uh, we didn't have a DVD player. So I, I had to watch the Matrix DVD on our Dell family computer in, like, 2000. I guess 2001, this was, this was near. So, I mean, I, it was still... I was still too young, for, technically, for an R-rated movie, but it's like it's just like gun violence, <laughs> which <laughs> I guess wasn't as big of a deal then. <laughs> so my parents got me the DVD, but I really loved the whole series. The first Matrix was fucking awesome. I mean, that's like a all-time classic movie. Like, think about yeah. how prevalent that movie has been since it came out like it's still the original matrix is still in the cultural conversation the red bill the red pill and the blue pill the concept that we're all in a simulation like it was really prescient it was it was it was like they were putting in these really cool philosophical ideas um but making it incredibly entertaining in an action movie at the same time yeah so the new Matrix movie is basically like the entire first act is just meta references to the first Matrix movie. And then the second and third acts are basically just like the second and third movies, which is like there's a lot of stuff happening and I don't really have like a connection to why or why it matters. Right. <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff happening. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and there were like characters that they brought back. I'm just like, did I care about this character 20 years ago? I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> kind of a shrug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I definitely don't care about them now. So, <laughs> yeah. but the whole first act, it feels like a totally different movie. 
Uh, and it's like, man, it's meta referential in such a way that's like it pushing against the limits of like what I have tolerance for. It's, just like, <laughs> it's like, I'm not sure this is good filmmaking. I'm, I think it's just referencing itself to like too many folds over. Right. It's like, okay. Yeah. All right. Like well, there's could- no, there's no subtext. None. Well, I guess I, I gotta say I'm not that excited about watching it, but oh well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, uh, I do like Neil Patrick Harris and Jonathan Groff, but I was a little disappointed that as good as Keanu Reeves looks in his like, you know, yeah, current rugged kind of looks great aesthetic. I, I kind of he's just, he looks as good now as he's ever looked his whole life. He does, but I, I still wanted to see him like in those like very cheesy sunglasses yes yeah like and like with the with with that like you know the shorter hair and everything and he just he just looks like Keanu Reeves looks in his day-to-day like they don't change they don't like dress him up at all he's just no like, leather he, coats and trench coats or anything no shiny he's, he, shit he's just regular ass fucking uh, dude, solid dude. dude Keanu Reeves just <laughs> the glasses are iconic like that is what you think I know they just they didn't bring that look back. I was like, man, that would have scored a lot of points with me if they had just done that. Same. <laughs> uh, should we pick an episode for next week? Yeah, we're gonna watch The Matrix Four. That could be fun. no, no. Okay, no, I don't want to do it again. <laughs> what are we gonna watch next week? What are we gonna watch? We're going to do episode 67, which is season three, episode 15, No One Can Hear You. Let's do it. Um, watch the episode. Uh, if you guys have enjoyed listening to this podcast, as always, there's a few things you can do. If you want to talk to us, which is cool, send us an email. Did you see the mail at gmail.com? We haven't been pushing that as hard recently, but we love talking to you. It's It's really fun when we get those emails and... Start some back and forth. So hit us up there. Um, if you want to support us, you know, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, rating us five stars on Spotify on the app, which mobile app, which you can do now, um, is cool. Tell a friend that you think might like the show to listen. And Eric's got a Patreon at patreon.com slash Eric Dano, what we talked about today. So, um, yep. All good things we would appreciate, even if you just do half of one of those. I guess half of a recommendation or half of a of a patron support isn't good. I, we need one full, just one full one from you. Thank you. Yep. All right. Yeah. Good app. Fun app. Goodbye, folks. Peace out, y'all.